Toby is in HR, which technically means he works for corporate, so he's really not a part of our family. Also, he's divorced, so he's really not a part of his family. And human resources lady. Sorry, you know, I'm sorry, it's Pam. And uh, if you're a future interviews, you should try to remember the name of the person who's conducting the interview. Are we pre-written beings? Are we pre-determined beings? Do our genetics dictate our fate, right? Or are we made by our environment? be happy if you've mind to. Is we ready? I'm ready, girl, I'm ready to record. All right. Welcome to another episode of Chill and Ambitious, the podcast that points out shit you didn't know was relevant. I'm O. I'm No. And together we make Oh, oh No. <laughs> Today we're actually talking about um, growth mindset versus fixed mindset, how you can take information about how your brain actually functions and combine that with tools to be an effective leader and to grow just personally. And who is going to help us figure that out today. <laughs> so today's guest actually works in HR as an analyst or analyst, depending on how you pronounce it, <laughs> in, in leadership and organizational development. Um, so this is not the traditional idea we all have of HR, which is like hiring and firing, but actually training people to be better leaders. So please welcome Dina Zukic. Uh, she's a problem solver. She's really, really funny. Um, welcome, Dina. Hi, everyone. It's Dina. Hey, Dina. Hello. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do and how the whole neuroscience thing works? I would love <laughs> to tell you about that. Um, so, yeah. So I work in leadership and organizational development, which is part of human resources, but it's not what most people think of human resources. So... Uh, what we do specifically is really around helping employees be more effective at their jobs in terms of their soft skills. So we're not, you know, we don't do technical training on, you know, how to use, you know, how to do their day-to-day job, but it's more about how to communicate better, how to have a good, how to give a performance review, how to be a more effective leader in terms of, you know, how to develop your teams and things like that. And then in terms of the neuroscience, uh, well, we've been partnering with the Neuroleadership Institute. Um, and it's one of the things, you know, the big thing that they sort of, their philosophy is that anything that you do can really be explained by what's going on in your brain. So you can, by understanding better what's happening in your brain and how your brain actually functions, you will be able to make decisions in the workplace that are going to help you be a better communicator, that are going to help you be a better leader to your team. It's like the psychology of the organization. Is that your psychology? Yeah. So I have a psych background. I have a um, bachelor's in psychology and a master's in industrial organizational psychology. And then the idea really was to combine psychology with business, which is exactly what I'm doing now. Um, so I it's like kind that. of a cool combination. Yeah, it's, actually, that's, it's really interesting. Totally not how people think of HR. Yeah. No, not at all. They think of it as just like someone who's like, these are the rules and having to uphold rules. Not evil, but bad-tempered, bureaucratic, officious, and callous. They wouldn't even lift a finger to save their own grandmothers from the ravenous bug bladder beast of trowel without orders, signed in triplicate, sent in, sent back, queried, lost, found, subjected to public inquiry, lost again, and finally buried in soft peat for three months and recycled as firelight. The fun police. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're known as. Well, one of those things that actually I want to focus on is the idea that you can be good at anything as long as you put your mind to it. Yes. It's it's like the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset, right? So if you have a fixed mindset, you think, well, I'm just not good at math. I'll never be good at math and that's it. And you just don't think you're able to get better at it versus if you have this, like if you adopt the growth mindset, then you you know that you can get better at it, even though maybe you're never going to be like the most amazing mathematician. You are, you're open to the idea that you can get better at something and that you're going to get better and maybe even master it if you put your mind to it because your brain is wired that way. It's, it's able to make you better with practice. You might not be good at managing people, but if it's something that you really want to get better at it and it's something that um, you, know, you need to advance in your career, then you can get good at it. And I think that's huge because 
especially in our culture, I think there are this, this idea of a born leader, you know, that you just wait, like some people, and, and I think there are some people who are just like naturally better at it than others, but vast majority of people probably like have to work at it to become yeah. a good manager. Even if you're like generally someone who likes to lead, you still have so much room to become a better manager. Well, well, if, it, sorry, just it's no. fun. It's really great that you bring that up. The whole like, are leaders born or made? Um, when we do the session on neuroleadership and the section specifically on growth mindset versus fixed mindset, like the way we introduce it is, do you think leaders are born or made? <laughs> and then we have the audience answer and like see what they think. And then that's that leads into discussion that most of them are made. Oh, a rather uninspiring thing. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. You run for a long way to go, young master, if you think. No one's saying um, and it's it's kind of interesting to find out that a lot of people who are great leaders are actually introverts and people who are really good at presenting. A lot of people that are in my profession that are um like trainers and um, facilitators and presenters are actually introverts and they'll do a training session and kill it and then just be exhausted and like, <laughs> not want to talk to anybody for the next like day. <clears throat> well, I think that's another notion too, that leaders are generally extroverts, especially in our culture. Again, mm-hmm. you know, that it is this kind of like the person who's talking and like can rally people with like inspirational words and da 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 da. But like, there's different types of leadership, I think. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to see um, some of the biggest leaders, like the most well-known leaders that we know, what they are. Like, like if they're introverts or extroverts. Well, you know what's really funny? There's actually um, an article that came out not too long ago. Um, it'll be on the site. Um, but it, they talk about why um, there are so many like bad managers just in general and it's usually because people flock to the person who's the most confident right so like they actually trust the voice of the person who's the loudest and so the loudest doesn't necessarily know the most they're just the loudest and like that's actually how most you make it make it yeah but but that's can be really bad for your employees (laughs) yeah but then that's actually like how so many businesses are built where it's like oh we put these people in them and actually people trust them the most just because of the most confident but they actually find that um the people that they're passing up would actually have better skills to be managers they're just not as loud i think it's one of those things where like you sort of overcompensate for what you're not naturally drawn to which then makes you really good at it like if I'm an introvert mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not good at I'm not naturally comfortable standing in front of a room and it's not my natural go-to then I'm really gonna work at it I'm gonna I'm gonna perfect it and I'm really gonna put my all into it which in turn is somehow gonna make me better that's like Kanye you know he used to be <laughs> it always comes back around to Kanye but like when he was making beats like you know he was producing like producing music and he wanted to rap and nobody really wanted him to rap because he wasn't that great yeah. at it yeah, yeah. So he said he just like exactly. would stay home and just like work at it because he couldn't handle the idea that he wasn't, you know, going to be great at this. And so he's like, yeah, there were a lot of people that were better than me. Like, but then I just tried so much harder and I made myself better. Like he just exactly. was like committed. Dog, I was having nervous breakdowns. Like, man, these niggas that much better than me. I think that's a good comparison. Yeah. Because that's at first my whole thing was like, how are you? There's this woman um, named Carol Lempert who comes, she does, um, one of the big, she's a consultant, but she comes into companies and she she does a whole presentation on storytelling and how you can influence people through storytelling. So the idea, the whole idea is that you can tell really, that you can tell stories in the workplace and it can be really powerful for um, how to influence people, how to lead people, how to get people to really get your message. Um, but she's incredible. Um, and she's an introvert and she was like really shy as a child and she used to have anxiety and all this stuff. And she's absolutely mesmerizing. What a word, mesmerizing. I've seen her twice now because she came in and did uh, stuff for us for uh, two of our leadership programs at my company and she's amazing and it's really hard to believe that she's an introvert and like that really got me thinking why you know how is she so good at this if I would hate doing this and I mean but I I guess part of me is I don't I don't really love presenting and being up in front of people but I'm finding that I'm you're good at it better at it 
So it's actually more enjoyable. So I don't know. I mean, maybe I can relate on some level, but that's what it is. I think you just put so much more work into it than somebody who's like, oh, cool. I'll just wing it because I'm super confident and not anxious at all. Yeah, but you also come across as more prepared than that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you know, for sure. You're going to like, you're just going to build that muscle because like your brain is a muscle and you got to use it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you got to lift them weights. Well, I think Absolutely. what you're talking about when you say mesmerizing, it's, it's charisma, yes. right? She's also an actress, so that helps. Ah. She's for, like, she's done theater, so she like really projects. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And, <clears throat> I don't know. It kind of makes me think of it's like one of my favorite books. It's called The Charisma Myth. It's uh-huh. by Olivia Fox. And it's called The Charisma Myth because it's potentially trying to say like anyone can be charismatic. Yeah. And it's, it's Hitler something. was charismatic. Yeah. And he was like a noob. Yeah. He was, sorry. <laughs> I don't know if he's a great like example, but he like was like, like a lonely, sad person. And, <laughs> and then decided he was going to be charismatic. And he wasn't. So I have a whole nother thing. I don't want to get in there. I don't want to derail us, but my dad told me this thing when I was home for Thanksgiving about how Hitler actually came to power, and he compared him to Donald Trump. And I know a lot of people have been doing mm-hmm. that. Uh-huh. Um, and it's actually kind of mind blowing about like how the whole reason that Hitler even got elected is because the country was down, and the only people. So he appealed to like the less intelligent, just like yeah. You're saying what I want to hear. And the the only reason that he got elected is because those were actually the only people that went out and voted. And nobody else did. So only a really tiny percentage voted for him, but nobody else voted. So that's how he came to power. And my my dad was like, this is what's happening. Like, I know. Oh my God. There's a small percentage of just (laughs) idiots who are feeding into everything he's saying, who he's brain, who Donald Trump is brainwashing. And if the rest of us are just sitting there talking about how like terrible he is, is but we don't go out and vote, then these idiots are going to be like the ones that are passionate and are just going to go in and vote and he's going to win. And not that that would necessarily happen, but But, I didn't know that. But actually it very easily could happen. Yeah. Because yeah, well, and though the media, it's the media's fault for talking. For sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, because people like to watch the train wreck. I mean, I, I like watching the train wreck. So they're yeah, like, then, oh my right. God, you already Oh, did just you hear it. about the outrageous thing that Trump said versus like nobody heard like the actual sensible thing <laughs> yeah. the other candidate said? Well, it's yeah. like we were saying about leadership though. It's this idea that like we we do seem to gravitate towards the yes. extrovert, even if he's not saying anything that makes sense, but he's yes. saying it really confidently. And, you know, for these people who are uneducated and all these... What, I mean, or feel disenfranchised. Or feel disenfranchised. Or maybe they are the, the billionaires who, who do think he will actually represent their views. He seems successful, you know? And like he, he has this narrative that he pulled himself up from the bootstraps even with though... With a small loan of $1 million. With a small <laughs> loan of $1 million from his dad. It has not been easy for me. And, you know, I, I started off in Brooklyn. My father gave me a small loan of a $1 million. <laughs> but he it's likes true. to tell that narrative. So he seems like, and the way he's so brash comes off super... I mean, glow class in some ways. You know? Actually, yeah, no, he's absolutely right. He doesn't seem like a, he's like a nouveau riche kind of style. Like that's not how the waspy, like whatever, like that's, that's how he comes up. Right. No, you're right. And it's, the, it's the loudest voice. It doesn't necessarily always matter what they say. It's just about the confidence, the charisma, the being loud. And it's good that you bring it back to leadership because it's true. <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it's true. Full circle. Well, he, well, he probably had like some insight that was like, you know what? My campaigns haven't been successful before. Like, what is... I think I just had an insight that he's playing a big-ass joke on America. (laughs) One of my favorite articles on him... uh, Was it on Gawker? I can't remember what it was, but someone told... Yeah, he really is. Somebody (laughs) confronts him with that. He didn't know what a troll was. And someone was like, are you a troll? And he's like, what's a troll? He's trolling America. And he was like... totally trolling America. And I love the way they explained it in the article because he was like, oh, I I guess I kind of am a troll. Like he was like, are you an instigator? Do you like to say things that he's like... He knows what he's doing, you know, in the sense of like framing things in a way that emotionally trigger people when maybe his real view is a bit more tempered than that but he phrases it in a way that he knows will get people real riled up the bottom line is while we're sitting here talking about like oh there's no way in hell trump will win he's so outrageous he's so crazy 
the people that are going to vote are going to be like the people that are listening to who are him impassioned are going to be the ones that go and vote for him while we're sitting on our asses <laughs> talking about how he's never going to win because he's so crazy I'm and voting. not voting everybody vote <laughs> and vote in your midterm elections and vote in your local, local elections election. especially your local especially your local Everyone, elections that's shut how you the hell up about Trump <laughs> and go and vote for somebody else that's um, how we're going to get him not to be president um yeah <laughs> so, so the charisma myth the charisma What I like about it too is it it also takes this idea, uh, stops this idea that not only are there not just charismatic people and not charismatic people, it's also like even people who you think are charismatic aren't always charismatic 100% of the time. They yeah. yeah they can turn it on and turn it off. And it would be exhausting to be charismatic all the time. Yeah, like actually, would. I knew you have that for to a be fact. able to turn it off. Because <laughs> you, <laughs> no, no, actually, no, I'm not. She's like, I know that for a fact because sometimes I'm so exhausted. <laughs> no, no, from being so, so charismatic. charismatic. No, I'm actually not even half as charismatic as I used to be. Like sometimes I really am like, okay, I got to turn it on, and I'm like, fuck, like, like it's like a. It's like a mental preparation. Like that's how I, I got to go training. work this room. Like I got to really go like true. talk to all these people. And it's really, really freaking hard when you're just not feeling it. Mm-hmm. And when you're feeling like this is routine and that's when it becomes exhausting. Uh, a friend of ours, um, Dina and I both know her, uh, is a professional fundraiser. So like organizations hire her to teach them how to fundraise. And like, we're talking like, it, you know, we're talking nine, six zeros, nine zeros, like, you know, crazy, crazy amounts. Many commas. Many, so many fucking commas. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so many commas. But she was just saying like that she has to teach these people like her, the hardest challenge is teaching people to tell their story in a passionate way, but to tell it like it's the first time every time, because oh, yeah. that's how you get your donors to like, to donate is that she's like, I, like, and she was actually talking. She was like, you know, every time that you do this, like, you have to do this. Like, treat my first like my last and my last like my first and my first is the same as when I came. And I feel like that's actually a good segue into the whole neuroleadership piece, because one of the things that, with you know, the, the big philosophy that we've been teaching our leaders is this idea that leadership <clears throat> is, you know, anything that you do as a manager in a workplace and a leader can be attributed to like how your brain is working and it can all it go all ties back to like your neuroscience and like the the physiological makeup and really understanding that it can be really helpful in how you are as a leader and just like how you interact and communicate with other people. Do you have an example? One thing I can think of is like there's this book I've been reading by sort of the the founder of the Neuroleadership Institute which is um the company that they sort of take the concept of neuroscience and apply it to companies, but it's called your brain at work. And the biggest, uh, one of the things that's, that I found really interesting is the idea of multitasking and how you can't truly be doing two, like more than probably more than one. Like if it's a task that's really cognitively like, um, demanding, you can really only focus on one thing at a time. Um, so obviously like you can, you know, you can chew gum and walk or you can drive and like have a conversation with somebody because certain things you're are, like you, that they're programmed into you. So you're not really focusing a lot of cognitive ability into it. So if you're driving a route that you've driven a million times before, you can easily have a conversation with somebody. You can do other things with your brain. You can, you know, whatever. Um, but if you're driving a route for the first time or even the second time and somebody tries to talk to you, you have to kind of be like, hold on, like, let me focus on this real quick, right? Until you learn it and becomes innate. So it, it's kind of the same thing with uh, being at work. So the, the idea that you have to understand that your brain physically can't do two things um, if they're really, you know, both require a lot of attention. Um, so when you have a lot of things on your plate and what's really cool in the book is they kind of give this example, like the first part is, you know, this woman, she goes into work and he gives like this whole scenario and she's overwhelmed with all this stuff. And then he talks about like how she, um, how she approaches all of her tasks in scenario one. And then scenario two is her, but actually understanding how her brain functions and how she goes about doing all of the same tasks, um, 
but in a more effective way and how she gets it done because she understands that the brain can only do so much. And it's, you know, she's doing by multitasking, she's doing herself a disservice. And so she's doing all these different things where um, she now understands what her brain is doing. So she's able to, um, she's able, sorry, (laughs) she's able to accomplish things essentially. That's so cool. Like to have that in a culture. Cause I feel like, Mm-hmm. A lot of us know that, but the culture of a workplace will still be like, get it all done at once. Yeah. So there's a culture that's like, hey, that's not how your brain works. Like, yeah. it's okay that you're yeah. doing one thing at a time. But so here's, um, and it's interesting that you bring that up because it's one of the things that we bring up in the training is a lot of people, you know, will tell people multi- you can't multitask. And then we'll be like, but isn't it interesting that, you know, one of the biggest skills that, that employers look for in a resume is <laughs> your like ability, ability to, to multitask, <laughs> right? There's no so, such thing. It's just an interruption of another task. But yeah. it's, but multitasking what they mean by that, you can multitask effectively, but you have to understand how to do it. And here's a great illustration. Um, Dina, you're confusing me. We do this, <laughs> so listen to this. So we do an activity in the training where first we ask people to write down um, all of the letters in the alphabet. So, you know, A through Z on a piece of paper and we time them. So we, then we're like, okay, if once you're finished, just raise your hand, do it as fast as you can. And so we wait for them and like little by little, like everybody raises their hand. And so we're like, okay. And like we counted. So like the first person raises their hand, raises their hand and we're like, okay, 11 seconds, 12 seconds, 13 seconds. And like we point and, and then we sort of figure out, okay, like let most people were around 14 seconds. Now we want you to write down the numbers one through 26, right? Because there's 26 letters in the alphabet. So as fast as you can, write down one through 26. So then they do that. And it's the same thing. We time them, do it as fast as you can, raise your hand when you're done. Around 14, 13 seconds to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Then we're like, okay, now we want you to do A1, B2, C3, and just write down both of them. Um, letter, number, letter, number until you're done, until you have Z26 and do it as fast as you can, raise your hand, read it on. So then we do that and then it takes them a lot longer. They raise their hand and then we're like, okay. And then, and, and I remember that roughly the amount of time it takes. So it's usually around like 42 seconds mm-hmm. to do that. So that takes 42 seconds. But if we add up the two times to do all the eights, the Z one first, then the other, yeah, it's only like 30 seconds. That makes sense. So because you were multitasking both things, it took you 12 seconds longer to complete the task rather than doing one thing than the other thing. So when an employer asks you to, you know, your ability to multitask, it's not the ability to do, you know, A1, B2. It's your ability to figure out how you're going to do it really quickly in a way that is going to provide a quality product. So your ability to multitask would have been your ability to recognize that I need to focus on this one thing right now and then I'm going to focus on this other thing. You can still do two projects at once, but it's about dividing your time in a way that is going to be the most beneficial and the most efficient for you. I did something like that today. Yes. I had to (laughs) create folders and pretty much duplicate all these. I had to break apart a presentation into separate pieces. Mm Mm-hmm. And at first I was doing like, create a folder, create the presentation, go in and edit it. But then I started just like, create all the folders. I went through everything and did all the folders. And then I like yeah. copy and pasted all the PDFs. And then I edit, I did each step for everything pretty yeah. much, but I broke it apart. Yeah, it feels counterintuitive to d- only do one thing at a time. And you're like, but this other thing. But when you really are, you know, when you really step back and, and think about the time it's going to take you, you have to understand. Well, it hurts that. your brain. <laughs> I make <clears throat> mistakes. <laughs> it hurts your brain. Well, part of it is like, shouldn't you like, if, if you are like confused, like you can give your brain a break. Like, like the whole idea of like, you have your best like insights in the shower or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that that's that's the other thing too is um, the whole like power of having an insight and how how powerful that can be because often when we're at work and like we have this project or whatever and we're trying to solve a problem, we really put a lot of focus on like it, the front part of the brain, which is called the prefrontal cortex. So you're thinking and you're using all this cognitive ability. It's kind of like the executive center of your brain. Mm -hmm. So you're using all this power inside in the front of your brain and you're really trying to figure it out when sometimes you really need to just step back and stop thinking about it because the insight piece, so like 
otherwise known as the aha moment, right? Like everybody's had an aha moment before where you kind of like everything suddenly like makes sense and it like pieces together. Um, kind of like when I figured out that Donald Trump was a troll um, <laughs> <laughs> and that he's just going to, it's just, just screwing with America. Um, but uh, this idea that, so like the insights are also really powerful ways to figure out solutions to problems but they're coming from a different part of your brain, which is called the non-conscious. And the way, like what we compare the non-conscious to is, it's kind of like a whisper in a loud room. So the, your prefrontal cortex is like the loud room that's always like really focused and like really trying to figure out problems and like thinking really, it's really energy intensive. If you're focusing too much energy on that, you're never going to hear the whisper. So that's where we go, where we say, okay, go and do something else. Take a shower. Um, you know, do do something different and it'll come to you. Like your brain is, your non-conscious is constantly working. You just don't realize it because it's so subtle and quiet. Um, there's actually a study done um, where they surveyed something like 60,000 people and asked them, where do you usually have your best insights, like your best ideas? And only 10% of people said that it was at work. Mm-hmm. So that's because your brain isn't, you're not relaxed at work. Like there's certain conditions that your brain needs in order for you to be relaxed enough to be able to hear those insights and get those insights. And again, that's really counterintuitive because you're at work, like you want to figure out all this stuff, but really your best ideas happen elsewhere. So basically you should listen to the Yin Yang Twins Whisper song. In a quiet room, though. Oh my god! Yeah, nothing worse than when they play that at the when they play that like in bar or when they used to play. You can't that. hear it. You can never hear it if it's in a loud club and you're like, "What?" That is a fantastic metaphor. I love it so much. Oh my god! You should well, just play that for your direct yeah, report. when you see like, my like, oh, oh. when it's like, when do you see my report? <laughs> when you see my idea it's like what you're like listen to their insights <laughs> everybody was oh my god oh my god no I need like, to this, incorpor- this needs to be part of my my regular <laughs> job this needs to be part of my job um well like because another ingredient that helps you like to well, to have an insight, right? It's like dopamine, right? Like you, to get your creativity yes. flowing, right? And so then when you're in a relaxed position or doing something that you enjoy, like listening to music, maybe the Whisper song, maybe something else, like maybe the new Kendrick, I don't know. And you're having like, a, that's when you're like, your body's like yeah. ready to receive. It's receptive, exactly. That's when your body, so like the 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 biggest, the most commonly cited places and situations where you have the insight is like while exercising, while in the shower, sometimes in your sleep or like really early in the mm-hmm. morning or right before going to bed, um, when you're listening to music, when you're driving, things like that. So it's all, you know, when you're not really thinking about work and you are more relaxed and happy. I have my best ideas on the dance floor. That's when you get <laughs> random texts at two in the morning. <laughs> like, Dude, I, well, I mean, when you're drinking, I, you know what? I will take that back. Sometimes like drunk ideas are good ideas. Yeah. Yeah. You, if they're still good in the morning, if they're still good when you're sober, like, <laughs> yeah, that's what matters. And actually, so again, in this book, the charisma myth, it spends half the book just talking about getting yourself in a relaxed state. Mm-hmm. Like that's half the battle of being charismatic is like not being a stress oh, case. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, um, so they, this is actually really interesting. They track these, I want to say gorillas in the wild, but I will, yeah, I might be wrong, but it'll be on, like, um, but I'm pretty sure they were gorillas. So they track these gorillas in the wild, right? Or, and typically, and they measure like, they know that the gorilla in the leadership position is, uh, low cortisol and high um, testosterone. So like cortisol is like this, you know, the stress stress chemical, right? And then um, what's the testosterone is like makes you like, it's it's like a confident, it's like a confidence, like it represents confidence, whatever. So actually they took other um, primates that were like in the group and they like measured their levels of cortisol, like, and they tended to have higher levels of cortisol and, uh, lower levels of testosterone. But when it was time for these primates to sh- step into a leadership position, whatever, whichever one that was chosen, 
the Essentially, CEO of gorillas. The CEO of gorillas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, the moment that they went into this leadership position, their cortisol levels dropped and their testosterone went up. Like it was a physical reaction. So like they know that even in nature, that to be an effective leader, that you, you got to be chill. You have to. That's why there's all these different ways to like psych <laughs> yourself up. Um, an interesting thing though, like, Related to that is this idea of um, part of what neuroleadership talks about also is the idea that we're constantly in our brain trying to figure out a balance between like running away from things that are threatening to us. So like running away from threat and running towards reward, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like the spectrum and the threat and the reward um, are on either side of it. And they say that you are your most efficient and effective and productive self when you're like a little bit in the middle because a little bit of threat, um, and I've mentioned this before, when there's a little bit of threat present, that's when you you need that almost to jumpstart you into action because if you're too far on the right, on the reward side, you're too relaxed and like you're too chill. You're going to have these insights, but if you really actually have to use your prefrontal cortex and have to think cognitively, then it's best to be somewhere in the middle where like there's a little bit a little bit of that anxiety present and then you really sort of get your ass in gear. So you need to be chill and ambitious. Exactly. <laughs> you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. But like that ambition. <laughs> ambition, I guess you can You can have ambition, like- but not too much. <laughs> <laughs> sorry exactly oh my god that's perfect that's the perfect analogy for the threat and reward because if we if we think of ambition as like this like voice inside us or this like anxiety inside us that's pushing us yeah because that's essentially what it is some anxiety to have it yeah yeah absolutely to be ambitious because you have to be a little bit restless (laughs) but too much too much too much you will threaten too much ambition (laughs) you will become sort of paralyzed by it so you know how like when you have the the, like say if you're in like a really panicked like huge high state of stress like or threat like you're getting chased by you know a lion (laughs) or you know how like when like you, there's like these stories of of women lifting cars off their babies and things like that. That's actually a real thing because your body reacts and it's this huge adrenaline rush of a fight or flight. Right. I'm going to die unless I do these things. <clears throat> and that's great if you're getting chased by a tiger, but that's unlikely to happen in the workplace. So <laughs> what? Just we're actually going to talk about a lot of this tomorrow too so from a different actually, angle from a different angle so it's nice to yeah. have it's like an intro to it I like yeah. it um, so but if you're in the workplace you're not going to be in the scenario nothing is that serious but our brains are often tricked but they forgot thinking. my forks with my lunch exactly <laughs> yeah, that's- or you know like you sh- you get some negative feedback and you shut down so you can't let yourself get to that far of the threat area because you are gonna like if if you, any of you have ever had a panic attack or like have like severe anxiety it's paralyzing so but again if you're too relaxed and it's it's not this so i have a good example of when i was literally like functioning in that like sweet spot um i was giving a training and it was a virtual training and I started doing my whole spiel. I was, it was in on this like webinar platform called Adobe Connect. And I started talking and all of a sudden I'm getting all these messages on the chat inside the room of people being like, it's telling me I can't access the room. Something's wrong. And there's this big issue. And apparently like the virtual room didn't fit enough people. Somewhere there was a screw up. I know. It's, it sounds really silly. Sorry, there's not enough room on this internet for you. <laughs> no, but it's true. Like it's actually a virtual room and there's only so many people that can log into it. There's or only you so crash much space. The- before it just tells them they can't come in. And I was like, what What was the screw up? Oh my God. So I'm panicking a little bit, but it kickstart me into like using my brain in such a way that I immediately went into problem solving mode and I completely came up with another another solution. I, I used a different room. I used a different a, room. We, we virtually relocated. <laughs> I used a different dial-in, informa- uh, dial-in number. I used a different link and I was able to log into this other thing and we were literally only delayed by five minutes and I could have, if I, like, it was very easy to just freeze in that moment and like panic and freak out 
about what was happening. But, and it was funny because two of my HR colleagues were in the room. And as I was doing all of this and I was transferring and I, and then I sent a, an email to all the attendees being like, use this link instead. Here's the talent info. And I'm doing all this stuff. And I just looked at them and I was like, I'm literally functioning in that sweet spot right now between threat and reward. And, <laughs> and they totally laughed because they knew what I was talking about. And it was a nerdy HR joke, but it actually really was what was happening. And I saw it in, in, motion, you know, so it's really cool. Yeah. IRL. Um, but the other thing too that I want to say that I think that's really important to to note and is that the whole idea of the threat and reward, the threat is always more powerful. So if you think about, you know, you go into a feedback conversation with your boss and they tell you, here are the, you know, six things that you did really well. And here's the one thing that you didn't do so well. That's like the one thing you're going to walk out of there and obsess over the one negative thing they said. Most people will at least. As opposed to being like, wow, there's so many great things they said about me, but then they had to say this one thing and now I'm shattered. Or just like how you're more compelled to write a negative review on, you know, something on Yelp. than a positive, on Yelp or like anything Fucking than a positive. Yeah. <laughs> it's, funny. it's, it all has to do with how your brain, pro- like it's just the, the threat, threat reward yeah. is more powerful. That's just like the reality. But that's the other thing too. A lot of managers, going back to shitty managers, will, only mm. give you feedback if it's negative feedback. And if it's positive <laughs> feedback, they just yeah. won't say anything. So it, it's you're sort of supposed to take it as if you don't hear anything, like no news, no news is, is good, good news. news. That's the Asian way. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I mean, like, it is. Asians, it's like, I feel like are very sh- hard yeah. on each other. It's just expected. Yeah. It, like, why would you need why to congratulate you? you? Yeah, yeah. You you did what was expected. Exactly. <laughs> like, you must be like the best thing ever if someone's going to give you What, you want a fucking cookie? But yeah. that's not good, right? And, and, but yeah. that's also a big reason why maybe our brain, that that's just how our brains are. Like, generally, most people aren't going to take the time to pull you aside and say, hey, you did a really great job doing this. But the second you piss them off, they go talking to everybody about it and they will put the energy to give that negative and to your point about the anxiety and the reward, I do think like, you know, being raised like that, there was a sense of always like, you never, you never got the praise. So part of you does like keep trying to like, mm-hmm. get, be, like get that validation because you're just like, uh, it's like I'm always out to prove something. Every time I stop on the block, I set up shop and try to move something. You guys are really bringing this full circle back to the whole idea of the growth mindset. Um, and it's actually cool because all of this really does tie in, but it, it does explain this idea of if you are raised in that type of a way and all these expectations are on you, like the way they sort of differentiate between um, growth mindset and fixed mindset is they say that the fixed mindset is the be good mindset versus the growth mindset is the get better. Or the other way that they they phrase it is um, fixed mindset is proving yourself versus mm-hmm. growth mindset is improving yourself. Oh, so, I like that. Right? Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that if you have a fixed mindset and you're like, I'm really good at X, Y, Z, you're constantly having to prove that you're good at something and you always have this pressure and this this sort of fear that it's going to appear that you're not good at it or that you're going to no longer be the best at this or that people are going to see, you know, you always are having to prove yourself versus if you say, hey, maybe I'm not the best. I'm not good at math, but I'm, you know, I'm getting better. I know that I can get better. You immediately take that pressure off yourself and you're saying, I can get better. So you don't have to sort of try to work really hard to uphold the standard that you've set for yourself. Like you can literally like change your mindset by just saying, yep. by just adding the word yet, right? Yes. Yeah. Isn't yes. that what you told Good me? Good job. <laughs> <laughs> that like, yeah, that you're, oh, I'm, you know, not great at, I was telling you, I'm not great at squats yet (laughs) (laughs) absolutely (laughs) squat yet (laughs) and the other thing too is um what you're not competing with others you're competing with yourself you you don't have to be better than this person you have to be better than you yesterday right yeah so in that sense even if you're not it's like a win-win right well then yesterday's me was better versus today's me either way 
I was better. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like, like that, You trick actually. your brain into thinking that way and you take that pressure off yourself, but you're still, you know, pushing yourself to do that. Money, the sun is under my feet and I come in peace to compete. I don't run if you rather leap. My statistics go up in weeks and I go visit the nearest creek and I get busy. Well, I think like, for me, at least the whole yet thing is so huge, you know, like that you like can work towards something. Yeah. And when you get that <laughs> confidence, I do think like it does give you some room to be like more competitive too. In mm-hmm. the sense that like before I kind of like, I actually feel like I was, it was really hard for, I actually tried not to compare myself to people. I mm-hmm. got that a lot from outside. Like, oh, someone says, and I'm like, fuck them. Yeah. But like once you get in this mindset where you're like, actually, I know I can do better. And I actually kind of like from experience know that when I actually apply myself and like figure it out, I have room to be like, oh, this person's a little bit ahead of me. And like use that as a motivator to yes. be that anxiety. Yeah. Room. And then if I'm not, if I'm not there, like I don't, I don't, I'm not crushed when I don't like beat that person, yeah. but I can like set those little goals to be like. But you bring up a good point about experience though, too, because it's, it's easy to say, oh, I can do anything I want. But if you continuously get knocked down, it's like, maybe I can't, you Yeah, know, it, it goes down. So it definitely is something powerful about succeeding. At least once it's something that you didn't think that you would ever be good at. And I think that goes such a long way in helping you think about how you're going to sort of your your perspective towards other things that you might not think that you have in you and then doing them. But that first hurdle is really getting it done. The other study that sort of illustrates this is um, they did a study on, they sort of try to compare the fixed versus growth mindset. And um they gave a group of people a test and they, uh, there was two studies, but one of them, they basically, you know, like they they marked some of their answers as wrong and some of the answers as right. And then when they went back and they were giving them feedback, they found that the people with the, um, the fixed mindset were really just focused on that negative feedback and they weren't really paying attention to like, how can I actually, you know, they were asked to take it again, but the fixed mindset people were really focused on wh- why, are, like, why did I do this bad? Why did I make these mistakes? What are the mistakes? And they were so obsessed with the mistakes, whereas the growth mindset people were like, okay, what, what's next? Let's move on. Thank you for the feedback. And like, let's, let's, you know, do better. So they were motivated by failure. It's the idea of like, does failure motivate you or does it completely crush you and make you shut down? Mm -hmm. And the truth is that we've all been in both situations. Mm -hmm. I can think of activities where failure completely demotivated me and I was like, fuck this, I'm done. Or where it made me really just want to get better at something. So to Noel's point earlier, it's um, you can just decide, right? If it's something that you care about, then failure is not going to demotivate you. You're going to say, I'm going to keep trying and I'm gonna keep trying. If it's something where you're like, like when I was horrendously bad at surfing, <laughs> I was like, fuck this, I'm done with surfing this. Surfing is so hard. It's the hardest thing ever. And yeah, I thought I was going to be good at it and I was shitty no, at but it. it. No, I think that nobody's really that good at it the first time, especially like just the waves are against you. Like, I almost drowned the first time. It also time doesn't I went. help. That I we literally were going almost on like died. four days of no sleep. <laughs> Whereas, like snowboarding is another example that I was atrocious oh, at the first couple of times I went. But I was like, I can see how this would be really fun if I got good at it. And then I was like relentless about it. And it's a skiers I, joke I, about that. What is it? Because they think like snowboarders are like not as technical. They're like, what's the difference between a snowboarder <laughs> between like one that's been riding for like five years or zero years and they're just like three days because <laughs> so they're like it's, you're terrible for the first three days but like once you can stand up they're like yeah. no, the that's second you get the hang of it there's you it's kind of it can be compared to the insight because like the second you really get what the hell you're supposed to do then you know it you know how to snowboard it's uh, like I mean, one it's thing you don't know it the next thing no 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 it is <laughs> yeah. but there's something to be said and you don't immediately become good but it's the difference between not knowing and then suddenly knowing what, and you um, fall on your ass so much yeah. and or it hurts. like on your back or you almost have a concussion your <laughs> knees are black but and you blue. get it for like two seconds you get yeah. a little carving yes. and then you're like I can do it I yeah. can do it I felt yes. it for like um, a second I'm the worst <laughs> snowboarder in the history of the world it's embarrassing you how bad I am three days so no I've tried a thousand times <laughs> and I am you just, just haven't had that like click where no like, I'm honestly I think I'm just too scared of it 
Cause like, I cannot get, like, I can't, st- anyway, it's just terrible. <laughs> and my friends are always like, you can't be that bad. And then they're like, oh my God, you're that bad. And like, everybody just leaves me alone after a while. <laughs> but I actually had the opposite with surfing where I almost died. And I was like really scared of the water. Actually, the first time I went, I was like, didn't even want to go. I hate, I was like so afraid of waves, but I was like, I'm just going to do this. And then like, once I did it successfully, like another, the, the time after that I went, and I had like a really great instructor and he was just like, chill. He's like, he was just like, he was like such a metaphor for life. He was just like, you look like you're going to fall before you even fall. He's like, don't think about falling. <laughs> and like, he's like, just, just ride. And I was just like, what? I'm so amazing at this. I'm not amazing at it, but I felt like I was. <laughs> That's um, brilliant though. Because all you're the thinking positive. about is yeah. falling. Yeah. He was just like, you're not like, don't. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. Um, because I didn't have, I had a fixed mindset and not a growth mindset. It's the difference between thinking you're going to fail and succeeding versus thinking you're going to succeed and then failing. So it's all about your outlook again. You know, do you think that you're going to... Whether you can or you can't, you're right. Yes. Oh and that is- yes. It's one of my favorite quotes. I love that. That's so true. And it's, yeah, it doesn't matter what, what mindset you already have you can decide to change your mindset. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to say it. one more thing about Olivia Olivia Fox and that grace my man. You're going to say it's one more thing about. I thought myself. you were talking about I was like bring I got myself talking about yourself in the third person you <laughs> I'm <girl>. not there yet. <laughs> Please don't ever get there. <laughs> Let's bring the conversation back to Olivia. Um <laughs> I think we talked about me enough. <laughs> um in terms of getting yourself in that growth mindset, um and talking about how we perceive negative things so badly. I feel like this is probably like one of my biggest takeaways from her book. Um, when, because we are conditioned that way to see something really bad or like something that seems even bad, we seem to go to worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Like maybe our boss calls us and it's, that's abnormal. Yes. Like we are more likely oh, to be like, oh, this is going to be bad versus Panic, like something exactly. good, you know, yes. like you don't think that he's going to call you in to be like, you did a great job. Bye. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're like, Daddy. Yeah, like going through the list of like, like yes, exactly. Yeah. What, what could I have been? What what fireable offenses have I committed this week? Yeah, yeah. It's so true. And so to to change that mindset because she makes an argument that it's actually equally as likely that something like that is actually a good thing, or even like if you've ever had this happen before, something that seemed really horrible while you're going through it. Maybe a year or two later, you find out actually that's exactly what I needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like, like a learning moment. Either a learning moment or maybe like it forced you to go somewhere else and yeah. then you discovered something about yourself. Like you don't find out till like much later that that thing that seemed so mm-hmm. horrible at the time actually was like the best thing that ever happened to you. Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't mean that you can't try in the moment to like... Right. And so that's the argument is that actually when you get that negative feedback even if it is objectively bad or something that seems bad, like reframe it to be like, maybe this is actually the best thing that's going to happen to me. Yeah, And then even like start writing down potential outcomes. Like our brain immediately starts being like, oh, it could be like, yeah, the checklist of possible fireball offenses. Then instead start being like, maybe this is going to happen and then something great's going to happen. And like start thinking of like, or if it's a challenge being like, oh, but if tomorrow, even though I have no sleep and I have all these things against me and I still succeed, like, that gives me the confidence that I can handle X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z. So like just reframing things that potentially could be negative or actually, you know, do seem pretty objectively negative as maybe the best thing that is happening to you right now. If you could train your brain to think that way, then you're going to be the most, like that is the most amazing thing yeah. you could ever do. <laughs> because yeah. otherwise you're going to spiral down this path of I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. I, you know, whatever, I'm not smart, whatever the case may be. And then you're going to quickly find yourself in like this sad state of doom. You have to think of it in a positive way. Otherwise, you're just going to spiral into negativity. Yeah. Yes. That's why it's called a negative spiral. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the name. Um well, a downward well, uh, spiral. Uh, yeah. Not an upward spiral. That's so, <laughs> is yeah. there such a thing as an upward spiral? We have to create it. You have to. Like, you have to create it. Ha- oh my God. Yes. <laughs> Let's, we should create a dance move. Low grab. The, There's the, no gravity. <gasps> so it just 
goes up. I mean, I don't think we can fight <laughs> gravity. Think, There's certain think, things, okay, that, I, certain parameters and restrictions we're going to have. Going to I food. think what an upward spiral is if we're <laughs> if we're doing the like the opposite of a downward spiral is if you receive so much positive feedback that you just get a huge head and like you, you just your ego becomes so big that you turn into like an arrogant asshole. But I don't think you have to be the. I don't think it has to be that bad because like. Some people are like really gracious and grateful. It's like not about that negative things always happen to you. It's like how you react, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you react with grace, like then you're always... But then it's not a negative spiral. Then it's somebody who reacts. No, but I mean, negative no, people. but we like an upward spiral, oh. like the, the the opposite of an, a downward but spiral. I, I think and, the word spiral, um, but it, it, <laughs> sort of, it sort of has, like it has a mind of its but own. But have you ever met like a you, person? Like you're not I mean, in control the, it has it. like a negative connotation, right? A spiral indicates that it's it's out of control. Yeah. So I think I'm relating it to something negative. So an upward spiral is like too much positivity. Like you're in denial and you're yeah, like... Uh, you're spiraling yeah. in this uncontrollable way towards being an asshole. Like someone telling if, you... It's like, like you're the negative spiral is you're spiraling downward towards being just or maybe Or maybe it's like one of those like really like... Hip. You know those like you know Trump. I think it's in an upward spiral because like because <laughs> while, while America is in a downward spiral, it's like, right. That's exactly he's just right. like people are talking shit, and he's just like they just love to hate me. He literally like he threw out a bunch of completely false statements, just like let's see if they buy this, and then they did, and then more and more, and he's just spiraling up. And yeah, there's always going to be haters. I'll just keep doing my train. America is just <laughs> falling for him and he's feeding him, he's feeding him, <laughs> feeding his ego. It's like a cotton candy machine. Like, you know how like the sugar just keeps like growing like this? <laughs> but except for it's not sugar. He, it's like no. Donald Trump's head. hair. His hair is like cotton candy. <laughs> like, like cotton candy. <laughs> but actually like not as voluminous, obviously. Yeah. It's... Like uh, it's that like uh, it does have a mind of its own. It has that weird wave that like that oh god, that comb over is just despicable. I'm sorry, okay, that's enough. N- enough negativity. Um, <laughs> enough about Donald Trump. Get, get out and vote. Yeah. Not for him. Yeah. Please. And you can you can do anything you put your mind to as long as you decide. You know what you can put it. your yeah. mind to? You could put your mind to following us on Instagram. Oh yeah, actually. <laughs> yes, and Twitter. if you believe it, you can achieve it. You Yes. I believe in you guys. You can even uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Maybe even put some stars on actually, our ratings. I really want to actually like I would love because I we've been getting such great feedback lately. But like really, if you're listening and you like something connected with you and or you just have an opinion or want to tell a story, like let us know. Tweet at us, direct message us, email us, whatever. And like, let us know if there's something you want to share. But look, we love your feedback. It's been really great. And we do take it all into account. So please make sure you throw it our way. Um, our website is chillandambitious.com. Correct. And all of the social medias, the handle is at chillambitious. Uh, Dina, is there anything you want to shout out or plug? <sighs> no. Not really. (laughs) But I actually, like, now that I'm thinking about it, the Chill and Ambitious name is such a perfect, like, sweet spot of Mm -hmm. what you need to be successful. Thanks. Thanks for going for it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for being with us today, Dina. You're welcome. And being Chill and Ambitious. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, Thanks for being part of this community. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.